This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan England, and I am here with Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, everyone. So we're going to have a conversation today about marketing. And as you know, that's one of the topics that I'm very, very passionate about. But we're going to take a little bit of a different angle, a little bit different perspective on marketing. Our guest today is an award-winning marketer, and they paved the way for Sway Factor. And this is her groundbreaking strategies that empower professionals to stand out, stay relevant, and be in demand. So I want to welcome to today's shows, Sima Dahl. Thanks for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Ryan and Jeremy, for hosting me. So as I said, marketing is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Uh, We do it a lot when we're recruiting people. And I know that you talk about personal brand, employer brand, and how that impacts business. So what is one of the biggest myths that you want to break down for us right now? That is my favorite question. (laughs) I think one of the biggest myths is that empowering your employees to have a personal brand is in some way, shape or form detrimental to the organization. And that you as a business owner or business leader don't need a personal brand. I would argue that everybody has a personal brand and the business owner who who takes that into consideration and leverages that, that power of that brand to tell their corporate story, their employer brand story, is leaps uh, and bounds ahead of their competition. Wow. So let's do this real quick. Let's break this down. So help us understand what you mean when you say branding, and then talk about the difference between personal brand and employer brand, if there is even a difference. Sure. Well, I like to use the word promise to describe a brand, right? When when your brand is well-known, there's a promise for a certain quality product or service. And as an employer, you have an employer brand that is a promise for the experience I will have when I'm working in your organization. You know, is the story on the street the same as the one, you know, behind the the HR office wall? And the individual personal brand is the promise that you make for who you are, what you bring to the table. I like to call it, you know, equal parts, character, competence, and charisma. And and we all have, uh, you know, a work ethic. We have skills and experience. And we're either somebody you want to work with or somebody you really want to avoid. And so I really think it's just the word promise. But the brands are different because the goals are different. I think that's great. I love that word promise of Often I talk to employers about the promises that are made intentionally, but then also those implied promises, the ones that you don't necessarily talk about, but your brand makes for you, if you will. Yes. Can we talk about that for a second? What are your thoughts on that? Like, What kind of promises do I need to be aware of that my brand is making for me or that uh, I'm making when I'm talking to people in the 
in the marketplace? Well, that's interesting because I usually approach the question from a negative perspective. So, uh, you know, a lot of um, business owners aren't necessarily aware of the stories being told about them, but not in front of them. So if you think about a glass door or an indeed.com situation where employees are saying, you know, it's difficult to work here. Management says they're open door, but they're closed door. Uh, the hours are grueling. The benefits are poor. Uh, that's, you know, those stories are stories you have to be willing to hear and willing to address. So how do how do we get to hear those stories? I mean, by the time it's on Glassdoor, it's almost a little too late, is it not? Well, I don't think so. I think Glassdoor and similar websites is an opportunity. Now, without getting into how Glassdoor makes money, uh, it is a bit of a pay-to-play model. So sure. the employees are gamed into sharing memories and feedback about prior employers so that they can see the same information about potential future employers. Now on the, on the employer side, you have to buy, you know, a certain service level, have a certain level account to be able to address any of the negativity in public. <laughs> so others sure. can see that you, you acknowledge it, you're working on it. But I think when you, when you leave negative information about your your business and oftentimes you and your business are, are inseparable you know for the business size we're talking about like your name is the business and vice versa so when you leave something like that uh, unattended or unanswered i think that's when damage happens but when you acknowledge somebody for for what they had to say whether you disagree or agree and then if there is a pattern when you address it i mean that's that's all anybody can expect from a business owner is to see something that needs changing and change it. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And in case any of our listeners don't know, Glassdoor is a review website for employees to review your company, your leadership, and the things that people don't see when they're just a customer. So very similar to Yelp, but on the employer side, on the employee side. Let's dig into that a little bit. So let's talk about now so if somebody's posted something on my website, it impacts my brand. I love what you said that, especially in smaller businesses, the brand is often associated very closely with the owner. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even when you've got 500 or 1,000 employees, still that owner is often very much visible. So if something comes up, you said it's not too late if it shows up on Glassdoor or another employee review website. Uh, what are some things we need to do or think about when that happens? I like to think about what you can be doing all the time to strengthen your employer brand story so that when the occasional, you know, angry, fired employee mouths off online, there's, it, it may fall in deaf ears because you have such a good foundation underneath you already. But it, I like to encourage employers to think about that first 90 day experience of bringing a new hire on and some just some fundamental training around you know we're so glad you're here uh, and uh, we value we treasure you and to that we also value and treasure the people you know who may also want to work here you know every employee stands as a, a, a talent magnet unto themselves so encouraging those people to 
update their LinkedIn if they're on LinkedIn and to share the news that they've joined the firm and why they're excited. And if their first 90 days have been rewarding uh, to go on Glassdoor and, and share that. You can't force those behaviors, but the the individual employee often won't think of it unless you suggest it. So real simple onboarding suggestions and processes and a tiny bit of training goes a really long way. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, when you were talking about that, I, what I heard was be intentional about your brand. Yes, be intentional about it and lead by example. Oh, yes. And then it reminds me too of a story. Uh, I do a workshop that Everybody wants to hire rock star employees. I don't know if you've heard that term before, you know, the A players, the top talent. Yeah. And, but then they're disappointed when the rock stars don't stick around. And I always ask them, did you treat them like a rock star? <laughs> There's that. <laughs> we do more celebrating when people leave than we do when people show up. Uh, right. You know, pe people that are good, they know it and uh, they want to be celebrated. And I think you should celebrate them. I mean, that's a, that's a great time to do that. Is that onboarding? I love that 90 days experience. So give, give us some tips and some tactics, some things that you've seen working around this 90 day onboard to be really intentional. I mean, you'd mentioned, ask them to update their LinkedIn. You asked them, uh, give us a glass door review. What are some other things they can do? Um, if a company has social media feeds, suggesting that they follow and like and share. Now, if you have an employee, and listen, I have plenty of clients who'd rather stick a hot poker in their eye than get on Twitter. So I respect that, okay? But if you have a Facebook, you know, for your business, if you have a company page, then take care of it and remind employees it's there and share photos, not just of open job requisitions and completed projects, and you know, service-focused photos, but also of your people. And when people see themselves online, they enjoy it. They share it with their friends and family. You know, I think it's interesting uh, in an onboarding situation to ask employees what social media they do or don't use, because the idea that an entire group of people just doesn't use it because of their sex or their age, you know, or their career decisions is flat-out bunk. And I do think that the more you have your employees be brand ambassadors uh, and talent magnets, social is a great, easy way to do that. I also will look at a client's website, and you and I talked about this before we started recording, but the, the website experience uh, to even apply to the job, knowing most people are doing it from a mobile phone or a tablet, um, that's, that's a place to start. You know, what is my experience there? What story am I telling there? And then in, in the hiring process, don't ghost me. You know, those first 90 days, treat me like you said, as a rock star and ask me how it's going. You know, we, so many people hire the people, give them the keys to the, you know, to the service closet and then they're done. Yeah. It reminds me of a story. It was one of those inside jokes, but mostly true. Um, I used to have a client and the way they onboarded somebody was, if they showed up on the first day of the work and could catch the tr the keys to the company vehicle, like they knew they were a keeper. <laughs> and that was as far as they went, was tossing them the keys and said, good luck. 
Uh, well, I remember one of my earliest jobs in, in the heady high tech days in HR. When you asked for HR, they pointed to a filing cabinet. <laughs> so, uh, yes. okay, you know, it, it's <laughs> it, you got to treat people a little bit more kindly. You know, the number one thing I hear from clients is that when people leave, and it's for anything other than you know, a salary situation, which nobody wants to compete for talent just on money because that's a losing game. But when employees leave because they didn't feel heard or they didn't feel they fit in with their culture or anything that the organization can be paying better attention to and fix, I mean, that's a real gut punch. Mm. You know, it's too late when they're walking out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell people onboarding starts the second that person applies for the job. Absolutely. And, and it's that experience. And I love that you mentioned that earlier was that experience that you create, whether, whether it's intentional or not, there's an experience that's being created and the good ones will stick around. And if it's a bad experience, they won't. Um, right. Absolutely. So when it comes to the, uh, the onboarding, I, I just want to dig in this a little bit more. What are some ways that you've seen people learn from what they're doing so let's say that, you know, often I talk to clients and they have high, high turnover and there's a whole bunch of things that could impact that. I love that you said there's that 90 day period. What are some other things that you've seen work? And just to make sure I understood the question, uh, things that work to do exactly what? To, to keep them, to keep them engaged, to uh, keep people long term, because turnover is a big, is a big issue for a lot of the people that I talk to, and I'm sure there are people out there that are listening to this going, yeah, I just, I get these people. I think they're amazing. And three weeks later, they found another job. <laughs> right, you know, right. That, we talked about a little bit earlier. There's that, uh, that idea that people leave for a quarter more an hour or a dollar more an hour. And uh, I don't believe that, but um, I think you might have some thoughts on that too. And I'd just love for you to share uh, some other things that you've seen really just engage people early on. Yeah. And actually, you know, unfortunately, when you have an hourly worker and the competition up the street is offering more per hour, um, it, it can be challenging. And, and job hopping is something I hear a lot of clients talking about. Uh, you know, I, I, they're not even getting a respectable two weeks, you know, one week, one day notice. They're just no showing. And so th that's a situation that isn't easily remedied. Um, but with respect to culture and connecting with employees, making them um, feel valued. Uh, there's a conversation around just company-wide communication. So, you know, when uh, as a former corporate marketer, uh, worked for an enterprise, a global enterprise software company, and we have, a, you know, a client database, picture the situation, right? And every corner of the business wants to talk to that database. And we all want to sell the widget we're responsible for. <laughs> well, I think, you know, and there's, and so there's a traffic cop, there's control. Only so many people can, can talk to the client, you know, with that degree of frequency. I think that same marketing mentality can work with respect to your employees. So, you know, you have, a, you know, a certain number of employees and you can segment by where they are in their employee journey. Uh, and just because they've been with you for nine years doesn't make them forever employees. So how do you need to communicate to your, you know, your employees who've been around for a while and those just beginning the journey with you and in literally having like a schedule or a plan of attack? Because often what I hear 
is uh, the ownership isn't transparent or I didn't understand why we can't do this or we can do that. And I said, well, do you, did you ask? Well, there's nobody to ask, right? And so there's this sort of three ring circus happening where nobody knows who to talk to whom about what, let alone when. And mm. so that's where I think, you know, leadership and, and HR, uh, more and more we see HR departments being sort of a blended hire with some marketing skills or a stronger partnership between HR and marketing um, to think more like marketing to the people you've recruited because they matter to you. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, Jeremy and I just had this conversation about marketing and communications fatigue. And so how often is the right amount of, what's the right frequency? What's, how often those kinds of things when you're communicating via email or text message with the people you market to. But I love what you said because I don't think, we always think, well, wait a minute, that same concept, that same idea of segmenting our employees and figuring out how frequently, what kind of message we should be sending to each one of them, uh, how that makes a difference. Yeah, and, and through what media channel, um, increasingly business leaders are using um, video, uh, live town hall, you know, moderated post your questions anonymously, you know, to really make people feel part of the business. You know, there's a fine line where, you know, if I'm running a 50 million privately held company, I'm not sharing my entire financials with everybody, right? But sure. to the extent that I want, I want the individual to understand how they contribute to our success and why the key metrics are the key metrics and how they're measured and how everybody can um, help grow the company and in so doing grow their their slice of the pie. I think I think we have an old guard that's just unaccustomed to behaving in that way. Whereas more progressive leaders understand um, keeping hiring and keeping your staff is more work than it ever used to be. There are all manner of statistics about some. Uh, I think it's sixty five percent of people who apply to your to your company are just kicking tires to see if they can get something better. And that's a colossal and expensive waste of time. So really making, like you said, the, the entire application process map to the hire and their needs and that, that onboarding, uh, so critical, but it doesn't end there. Just like I tell employees, you know, you network to find a job and then you get inside the company and all of a sudden you stop networking and you don't know any of your colleagues or coworkers. You don't know any of the bosses in the other lines of business. And, and that's short sheeting your career trajectory. I think the same holds true for the recruiters to just think, well, you're here now and it's, that's good enough. Yeah, I was thinking when you were talking about that, the employees have taken their career advancement much more uh, into their hands. Like the modern workforce is much more in tune with it. Uh, it's not the way it was 20 or 30 years ago, where it's like, I got to put in my dues. I've got to be here for 20 years, then this, 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 and then I'll get my pension. I'll retire. And I think the modern workforce is much more in tune with what they want. And they are, because of the speed at which information is transferred these days, they're able to tell very quickly, am I in the right place or not? Absolutely. I mean, career paths used to be linear. So you'd start in a career and you were in your growth stage and then, you'd, you know, you'd move into uh, some sort of 
like position of power or maturity or leadership. And then, and then the model literally shows people in the declining years of employment <laughs> and it just cracks me up. Who talked about the declining years? There are no, there's no such thing. We can, we can change on a dime. Uh, and, you know, everybody sits on a chair with wheels. That's how I visualize it. And I can roll up to a job and push back when it no longer serves me. And I think companies that are really progressive thinkers in this regard will talk to their employees about alternate pathing within the organization. I mean, just because you uh, can no longer work in the field doesn't mean you wouldn't be an amazing asset in helping us screen candidates or train new hires or some people just want to take on a different role and we never give them the chance to tell us that. You know, I totally agree with that, Sema. Sometimes when we hear it, we think, oh, that's all just for those office people that they have all of that opportunity and they're looking at it. We're in a new era for them. But digging ditches, fixing HVAC, uh, air conditioners, fixing the sink, well, that's still the same. That part's still the same. But what's changed is the opportunity and the way that people look at it. I believe that fundamentally we have we've transferred from this this where I go to the job and my boss has all of the cards to right. to now no I have some of the cards. I know the other opportunities that are out there and I can jump for a dollar or whatever and they can kind of keep their their feelers out at all times which makes us have to be way more competitive on other things besides the money. So I love how you bring it down. We bring it into its reality in every area of the business. It's not just the the corporate white collar, quote unquote. No, not at all. I mean, you know, I know so many people who are frontline workers who, you know, will say, oh, it's super cool thing happened at work. And I just got tapped to lead a task force about some new safety regulation that came out. Or, um, you know, I'm going to mentor I'm going to do a six month rotation as a, as a new hire mentor or, you know, keeping people engaged and um, election, intellectually stimulated uh, is available to all that. of us. Absolutely. We did that with, uh, I used to run a steel company and, you know, we're doing structural steel, miscellaneous steel type work and lots of turnover. We ended up taking the journeymen. We ended up starting an apprenticeship program. Let me backtrack that. And thinking that we're going to get all of this great talent through just training our own workforce, right? Where we got most of our bang for our buck and the most value out of it was actually from the journeymen because they were the ones that we used to mentor, to teach. They became way more engaged, way more knowledgeable. They began to kind of refresh, dust off some old books, get a little bit more experienced, follow processes tighter. And they began telling other people about how they were getting promoted to this new level of, and they were giving and helping because I think that's innate in all of us. And so we actually got more out of the apprenticeship program by attracting more journeymen than we did apprentices. We had tons of apprentices, but it was great to have that journeyman level that all of a sudden had a little bit of pride to their job. Right, right. And, you know, treating the apprentices like VIPs, because, you know, that's, that's, we all know it's a, it's a tough road out of your apprenticeship and um, need encouragement and they need more senior, like you said, journeymen they can speak to and just really building like that 
that culture of camaraderie and support, um, being mindful of healthy competition. Um, and I know that's a lot of the work that you and Jeremy do, so I'm preaching to the choir, but it, it really is important. I mean, if you want to run and, and grow a business and leave a legacy, you can't leave this to chance. Of course. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about just the the conversation you and Jeremy just had right there. And we started talking about branding and then we, we moved into being intentional about your brand and it's come full circle to it's it impacts everywhere in the organization, everyone in the organization, just the way you think about the way communication happens, the way leadership happens, the way you represent yourself. So what you're talking about with this employer branding and even the personal branding side of it is it, it gets into all levels of the organization. Is that fair? I, I think they're inextricable these days. I don't think a company, you know, um, Listen, we're, we've got a lot going on as a society right now with the global pandemic and other social justice issues confronting each and every one of us. And I don't think, you know, we're seeing uh, business leaders make what some would say, you know, a, a bad statement or, you know, get being tone deaf during this time. And that that tanks the entire company and that has the employee feeling they're working for someplace that doesn't um, is no longer in alignment with values, with their values, their commitment, um, how they're wired. If it doesn't feel good to work for the company, then it's just like um, it lowers the barrier to change. So when we really think about leadership, uh, being spokespeople not just for the, the company, but as the leaders themselves. Here's who I am. Here's what I stand for. We're building a company that's in alignment with that. And you're here because we see that in you. And that that end-to-end circle of congruity, if you will, um, today is, the, is, is branding. You can't have one without looking at the others. I love the way you break that down at the end. So, Sima, I've really enjoyed our time today. And I know that there are people listening going, okay, she's, she's got something here. Like there's something that is connecting with me. I want to learn more. How do people get a hold of you? How do they learn more about this personal branding, employer branding concepts you're talking about? Well, you know, this is where having a strange name comes in handy. <laughs> Not so much when you're in the third grade, but I am easily found uh, at Simadol, my name. Dot com. That's S-I-M-A-D-A-H-L.com. And when you search for Simadol on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, you're, you're going to find me. Uh, if you do visit my website, I, am, uh, I invite you to take a, a five-day challenge to increase what I call your sway factor, which is you know my measure of how well your personal brand and your behavior are in alignment. And so I would invite you to join me on that journey because it starts with you. Awesome. Thanks again for being our guest today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And for those of you listening out there, go check out Sima's website, get in on that five-day challenge. Personal branding and employer branding can do amazing things for your business and especially when it comes to retaining the best employees. Thanks again, Sima. It was my pleasure. You gentlemen have a great day. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. 
We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.